Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, girl. Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. You know what I do if I own a hockey team? This is the Press Box. I hire a sumo wrestler. With Grady and Bischoff. I'd give him a uniform, transportation, 500 bucks a week, sit in the goal, eat a ham sandwich, and enjoy the game. My team would never get scored on. On ESPN Las Vegas. We would get scored on constantly. Maybe, but we sell a few tickets. I guess it's that time. Ed Graney, Tyler Bishop, Jared running the show at the studio. It's a Thursday. Here we go. The First Bite. Does Marc-Andre Fleury make the Golden Knights Stanley Cup favorites? I think if he I think he does if he's not exhausted. Uh, <laughs> 10 straight. I think it's 10 straight starts last they night. They don't right? need rest. I, yeah, I, I thought, uh, I, I heard last night, um, I don't remember this because, you know, I think it was Subban, right, that in the 17 in the expansion season, he had started 13 straight, which again, seems like a ton. And now he's at 10. I'm, you know, I don't usually wait, Tyler, with bated breath for two games against the Sharks. But I think the only reason to even pay attention to those two games this week is if Oscar Danks actually gets to play one. Because if not, and they play Flurry twice, then I, I give up. I'll throw the hands up. I mean, I won't even care. I mean, I'll get to care anymore. I mean, if if Oscar Danks can't get in this week, he'll never get in. Um, on the idea of Flurry and the Stanley Cup here, because what's if you go back to year one. Flurry was awesome. That might have been his, his best ever season. That might have been better than any year he had in Pittsburgh, year one in Vegas. And then in the playoffs, he was great in the first three rounds of the playoffs. They got to the Stanley Cup final. His save percentage was below 900, and they lost that series in five. And pretty much since then, the Golden Knights have gotten average or below average goaltending, right? Year two, Flurry was an average goalie. Year three, Flurry was actually one of the worst goalies in hockey. That's why they brought in Robin Leonard. But right now, Marc-Andre Fleury is top five in both save percentage and goals saved above average. He has been phenomenal this season. And if you look at the last two years, the Golden Knights were number two in Corsi and number one in expected goals the last two seasons. They were as dominant as any team in the NHL when it came to their skaters creating chances, creating shots, and preventing chances, and preventing shots. But they were 25th in save percentage. Right? The reason the Golden Knights weren't lapping the rest of the field is because their goaltending wasn't very good the last couple of seasons. This year, right now, they're second in save percentage in the entire NHL. And a lot of that's because of Marc-Andre Fleury. Right? They have the second best goaltending by save percentage in the NHL. Now, their course and expected goals, they're only seventh in both of those stats. They've actually taken a little bit of a step back in terms of how dominant they are as skaters, but their goaltending is second best in the NHL. Is it sustainable? Probably not at this level, but if I told you the Golden Knights are going to have top three, top four Corsi and expected goals at the end of the year, and their goaltending, maybe it's not second best, but if their goaltending is still top 10 level, that's a Stanley Cup winning team. Now, you might lose to Tampa Bay or something. You might not actually win it because there's other teams that are good as well, but the way Marc-Andre Fleury is playing, that, that was the biggest hole of the team the last two years. They were excellent at pretty much everything else 
that was one of the big problems. And the way Flurry's playing, they're they're a Stanley Cup winner. I mean, that's he's the difference. That's the difference in them getting bounced in in the first, second, or Western Conference Finals versus actually winning the Stanley Cup is if you have great goaltending to go along with how dominant their skaters have been for the last few years. Do you want to see Twitter blow up? Always. What do, you, what do you mean? That's 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 what I live for. Yes. Okay. Just tweet out today. You know what? Vesna winner Vasilevsky. Just tweet that out in Las Vegas. If you want to see the Twitter world of Las Vegas blow up, just I want you to tweet that out with a huge picture of the Tampa Bay goalie and say there's just no 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 question who the Vesna winner should be this year. I just just for kicks and giggles. Um, no, I mean obviously Flurry's been great, uh, and you know I I agree with you though. I mean we have no it, it's like a daily thing. Now. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna like. Think about Robin Leonard and if they should trade off one, you know, one for one when Robin Leonard gets back. To continue to talk about it at this point, who knows? I mean, it's now all about Flurry and when you might be able to get him rest. And we joke about it this weekend, but it's back to back. They have to sit him for one game this weekend. Um, so in case this Robin Leonard thing just drags on and drags on, which it has so far, he doesn't get burned out like you were talking about yesterday. Uh, so we'll see, but it doesn't mean, I mean, he's been absolutely terrific and they continue to say now, now it's gone from Pete DeBoer to players who are now saying, well, he's our best player. Usually it was Pete DeBoer saying that for weeks. Now players actually have followed suit. So he's been great. Um, they, you know, to beat Minnesota twice and they all talked about it afterwards. They obviously knew the history of Minnesota. They had not been good against them. Um, I think they walked away. I think they walked away from that series happy they got you know four points uh and thinking minnesota's better than they thought they were what do you think i think they kind of i don't know how they they obviously thought colorado was like either you know their main rival they might have walked away from that maybe thinking minnesota was marcia saw talked about that like a little better than they probably thought they were yeah i mean last night the final score is five to one but exactly yeah you know that's a that's a one goal game with 10 minutes to go in the third period and for the first 10 minutes of the third period Minnesota was dominant. They were yeah. they were dominating that third period. It was like I think when when Mark Stone scored to make it two one, I think shots on goal were like fourteen to three in that mm-hmm. third period. So that was by no means a five one final. No. That was a much no. closer game for fifty fifty five minutes than what the score was. And and yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you have any other choice than to walk away. And even though the Golden Knights won both of them, but to think you know minnesota's solid minnesota's a team that you could run into yeah. in the playoffs and and could be an an issue yeah. because those games were close and the wild outplayed the golden knights for i mean if you if you did on if you just did it on a like minute basis the wild probably outplayed the golden knights for mm-hmm. more minutes than the golden knights did over the last two games now we'll get to see them play six more times so right, the, the right. way we view this series might be completely different if the golden knights just roll them over the right. next six they play against them but I wouldn't expect that to happen based on the last two. Well, I think, and you might have seen this number, I think in the first game, the Knights only led for like a minute 40. Now, they led when, it, you know, they got, I think they got the quick goal and then Minnesota answered really quickly. And obviously at the end of the game, they led when it mattered most, but they, they didn't even lead for two minutes in that first game. So, and you're right, last night's five, not five to one. Um, Flurry made a few great saves that could have made it, you know, two, two or, you know, two, one Minnesota. Um but, you know, they got the wins. I mean, they're really good. And, you know, they're I think they're obviously proving to be the best team in the West so far. Um, Colorado won last night. But the other thing about the Knights is it's, it's interesting. I keep, you know, I look at the standings and they still, I mean, 
my goodness, they have four games in hand with St. Louis, and they're still <laughs> above them. Uh, they have a game in hand against Colorado and Minnesota. Uh, so they're in pretty good position. There's a long way to go, but it, I'm going to take St. Louis out with four games in hand and just kind of talk about Colorado and Minnesota, unless, unless the Knights would just go on a skid. And you and I were saying this, in that division, I don't even think that's possible. Right, and it's it's even more reason to play Oscar Dance this weekend. Yes. Because, like, I mean, hell, like you said, look at the standings. They're four points ahead of Colorado and Minnesota yeah. and a game in hand. They're a point clear of St. Louis with four in hand. Like, Yes, with four. The Golden Knights could lose three in a row, and they're still probably in first place yeah. in the West Division. So it's even more reason to play Oscar Dance because, you know, we're roughly 20 games in for everybody to a 56-game season. It doesn't seem like much, but... We're getting pretty damn close to the halfway point of the season. Yeah. And the Golden Knights have a solid lead in the West. So you can afford to play Oscar Dance. And you can especially afford to play Oscar Dance against the Sharks, against the Ducks, against the Kings, against the Coyotes. Like Those are the teams you can absolutely play Oscar sure. Dance again. Because the bottom four in this division are, are about as weak as it gets across hockey. So play, the, play Oscar Dance. Don't let <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury get burned out. Because we... We don't know what the hell's happening with Robin Leonard. We don't know when he's going to no. be back. And and even if he does come back, he he wasn't playing well to start the season. Granted, that you know was going to be like two months removed from when he makes his next start. But like at this point, Mark Andre Fleury is the goalie of this team, and you've got to do everything you can to make sure he's ready for the playoffs. The regular season doesn't matter. He's got to be ready for the playoffs. I saw a tweet this morning. I don't know the exact teams. I saw a tweet this morning, and Toronto's obviously really good. Uh, I got it. They might be up to 38 points or 36 points. They're just rolling people in that Canadian division. 38 points now, 18 and four. Uh, but it was funny because like these guys are really good and they haven't even played these teams. I'm pretty sure other than, other than Colorado and the gay Vegas, every team in like the West was mentioned. Like, like that just put it in perspective of how bad the division is. Not that I, I look, I think the Knights are one of the best teams in hockey and, they're probably one top two or three and can win the cup. But it was funny. It's like showing how good Toronto was. And they're like, and they haven't even played these bad teams. I'm like, I, there were so many from the West mentioned. So it kind of puts in perspective what people outside the West think of the division. I think they're probably the only division with four truly bad teams. I mean, the, the Canadian division, uh, you have Ottawa. Yeah, so, and Van, yeah. Vancouver's Vancouver. playing really poorly. And I don't think yeah. Calgary's been very good either. But you know, the the East, it's like the Penguins and Rangers are near the bottom of the East over yeah. there. And then in the Central, the, uh, well, they haven't played but 17 games, but the Stars currently have the fewest points. So it's like every other division, there's only like one or two bad teams. The West pretty much has four. They pretty much have four yeah. teams that yes. aren't very good. And that includes your LA Kings, Ed. So, well, they lost <laughs> last night. I was I was very depressed. <laughs> Will they win again? What was their, what was their winning streak up to? Did they win six uh, in a row? Yeah, they won six in a row. Yeah, they are. Will they win again, Ed? Will they have another well, winning streak the rest of the season? I didn't like. I didn't like the two game pause or the two day pause because when you won <laughs> six in a row, with that, you and I know. You know, you know how much you and I love momentum. I mean, I wish they would have just played every day. The two day pause. It, was, it's, it stunk. It killed us. Killed they us. took. They took a massive two days yes. off. Yeah, look what happened. And that was the end of it. There was they no one sense. There was no coming back from the two-day no. pause. That's Ed. That's what we're gonna hear if Robin Leonard comes back and starts playing, and Mark Andre Fleury's play declines. Is we're gonna hear? Well, they started yes. giving him time off, and he couldn't play anymore. Yeah. 
<laughs> Guy had had all this time off. He's not very good anymore. Just play Flurry like forty straight games. Imagine, imagine they give Oscar Dansk a game this weekend, and then Flurry comes back and gives up like six or seven in the next two games oh, straight. Like, oh, they ruined him. Oh, they ruined his yeah. rhythm. He was playing oh. so well, and they took him out for a game, and they ruined him. The Zoom presses with Pete DeBoer. <laughs> I know you hate goalie questions, but let's get back to some goalie questions. He's, he's not a fan of goalie questions. He's had a lot of those. <sighs> well, he, I, I mean, fortunate for him, it's kind of decided oh, yeah. itself now. There's no, yeah. there's the, I mean, the only question is, are you going to give Flurry a break? Yes. There, is, yes. there is no other question about the goaltending other than, hey, that guy's played every game. You mm-hmm. might want to take him out. All right, coming up next, Mike Mayock talked to the media yesterday but we also got some good reports uh, that suggest the Raiders are about to revamp their entire offensive line. What league value is all around the league, and we do that. But if you're asking me about Derek, I mean, I think John and I would both stand shoulder to shoulder and pound the table for Derek Carr. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Is that something people do is pound the table? I don't know. I prefer to stack the board. <laughs> if, I'm at home, I'm just, if I'm at home, I'll stack the board before I pound the table. I'm just trying to envision Gruden and Mayock standing next to each other, pounding the table yeah. and chanting, Derek Carr what, is great. Yes. What was the thing from Hard Knocks? Knock on Knock wood? Knock on wood, yeah. Knock on wood, can you hear me? But that was, I don't know, that wasn't pounding the table. That was just some weird, we're a team, we're a family, we all do this together. So... Mike Mayock talked yesterday. He talked about Derek Carr. Um, We will get to that. But what I thought was more interesting, uh, we had a couple of reports, and we had a quote from Mike Mayock as well, about the offensive line. First off, Ian Rappaport reported that the Raiders have had trade talks about moving Trent Brown. Mike Mayock yesterday, when asked, point blank, is Trent Brown going to be the starting right tackle next season, said the jury is still out. We also had the report from Josina Anderson that the Raiders are releasing... Gabe Jackson, releasing Gabe Jackson would free up $9.6 million in cap space. Trent Brown would free up $14 million if they release or trade him. So, let's start with Trent Brown. What do you make of uh, a potential trade? Do you think the Raiders could get rid of Trent Brown in a trade and get something back? Yeah, I think the key would be something. Um, you know, what what could you at this point, given his year last year, um, the shape was he was in, the injury, and and really the... You know, I think we talked about it last year, kind of the insinuation within that franchise that he didn't work very hard, that, you know, he was, you know, he got his payday and he didn't he didn't come to work every day to try to get back and to try to be what they perceived him to be. So yeah, everything about trades, as you know, is leverage. I, you know, I mean, yeah, would there be someone out there saying, hey, we can make him, you know, we can make him better. He'll be, you know, it changes scenery, all that. I just don't know what you'd get for him. Now, I, I think you try to you try to get something for him, but I don't know if it's just what they think they could get or what, what people would be willing to give up for him. And then, obviously, if you can't, then it comes down to the decision of you just move on from the guy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, trading him is better than releasing him, but sure. can you get a fourth-round pick for him? I because, just, it, like, yeah. if I'm... Because, listen, if you're another team... The positives of Trent Brown is that his contract is is team-friendly now because there's no guaranteed money. It's a $14 million cap hit this season. So there, there's some value to Trent Brown's contract. And because he's he was a really good right tackle, or left tackle, I should say, in New England yeah, before he came yeah. 
to the Raiders. And they put him at right tackle, and he's played about half the game since he's been here. So it's it's a matter of do you think you can get Trent Brown on the field? And if so, he's, it's probably worth giving up a fourth-round pick if you're another team, if you're convinced you can get, you know, 14-plus games out of Trent Brown next season. But the problem is, the reason the Raiders want to get rid of Trent Brown is because of the salary cap. If the salary mm-hmm. cap was was going up, Mike Mayock said it yesterday that if, if it had been a normal non-pandemic time that they would have guessed the salary cap would have been around like $225 million. And yeah, right now it's at, yeah, right now it's huh. at 180 If the salary cap was around $225 million, Trent Brown's probably back, no doubt about it, for the Raiders because ultimately $14 million isn't a massive number for what Trent Brown could be. But if you're trying to trade him, Almost every team in the league is looking to cut salary. And if the Raiders are trying to cut salary by trading Trent Brown, there's doubtful to be many teams that are willing to take on that salary to sign Trent Brown. Because if you want Trent Brown, you're probably better off just if the Raiders release him. All right, cool. We're going to go and try to sign him for seven or eight million after that. So I I would be surprised if they found a a good offer for Trent Brown. Like if they got anything higher than a, a fourth, that would be surprising. I'd, I'd guess if they trade him, it's more like, ah, we got a fifth back for him, or we swapped. We got a we got a fourth and gave up a fifth to get him. And in which case, I mean, again, that's better than releasing him, but it's not really a noteworthy trade. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think you you, you hit it on the head. Like, okay, if it's a risk reward thing in any trade, right? So you know, the reward is we can make him back what he was in New England. We can take the chance that he'll work hard for us, change the scene, and all that. That's that's kind of the word, but the, you know the risk of giving something up for him while just waiting. I would just rather wait because at the end of the day, I don't know if he would be so wanted that someone would say, "Oh man, they kept him," or "Oh, you know, we didn't get him." I mean, if you can get him for almost nothing, then take him. But I don't think anyone's sitting around saying, "Hey, let's overpay for this guy." Why? Why would you at this point? So yeah, I mean, you just if if you think they have cap problems, which you know I think they do, given what they want to do in free agency or. We'll talk about what he said about that. Maybe they're not going to do as much as we thought they were. Um, you just wait Trent Brown out. And you know what? If I'm another team and the Raiders want to waste that, or not waste, but at least pay that much to Trent Brown, then let them do that. So on the Gabe Jackson side of this, because he's reportedly going to be released to save $9.6 million in cap space, um, you throw in Gabe Jackson and a potential Trent Brown trade. That would mean the Raiders would be getting rid of their right guard and their right tackle. Are they going to go cheap on the offensive line? Like, are they going to try to, say, bring back Denzel Good as an internal option yeah. to play right guard and pay him four or five million? And then, I don't know, like, I'll give you this prediction. If they trade Trent Brown, I'll pred- they might take a tackle in the first round. They might go tackle in the first yeah. round to replace Trent Brown. So, like, do, do you get the sense they might, like, go cheap at the offensive line this offseason? They might, you know, look, we've heard how many years now straight that they were going to move J- Gabe Jackson. Like that came up, that became a popular <laughs> theme. Like they're going to move Gabe Jackson. So at this point, you know, they couldn't obviously, and if they can't move him, the reports are they're just going to release him and save the money. Um, so I'm not, I wasn't surprised at those reports yesterday, just because we've heard for so long they were moving on from him or they wanted to move him and get something for him, even though I think he's a really good player. Um, I, I Should I have been more surprised than I was – that it appears they're going to keep Richie Incognito, even though I think Richie Incognito is really good. But we've talked about Richie Incognito. That wasn't like a broken thumb injury. This is a very large man at his age, try, you know, playing on an Achilles or you know what he did. That 
that to me was a little surprising. I don't know what you think. And maybe they're still going to do that. We, we have to wait till the year opens and see everything they do. He's a but good if, locker room guy. Well, actually, I got to be honest. He has been. No, He's been better than many I, people thought. I, yeah. I, I, it's kind of sarcastic, but not yeah. really based on, no. again, yeah. hard knocks. Him being like, guys, come on. You need to calm down. I learned that in group. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's. I just thought when uh, – I wasn't surprised at Gabe Jackson yet, I think. But here's the thing. If they move on from him, like Tyler just said, now you're now you're replacing a lot of spots. Not that you can't, but, you know, let's be honest. I mean, they haven't been a horrible offensive line in front of Carr, and are you really going to replace three spots and hope that it works out? I think if, if they bring back Incognito but move on from Gabe Jackson, Jackson. and Trent Brown, it might be as simple as Incognito was the cheapest because his cap hit is five yeah. or six million for this year, and the other two are higher than that. It might, it might be that simple. They might have just looked at it and said, well – the other two are more expensive, so let's keep Richie Incognito around and hope he has a good season next year coming off of an injury. But I'll, listen, I'll say this, and you can throw Incognito in here too. I think going cheap on the offensive line is the right move for where the Raiders are right now because the defense needs a lot of help, so they need to clear cap space to add some players defensively. Sure, absolutely. And you don't want to have a terrible offensive line but the Raiders supposedly have a very good play-calling head coach, and the Raiders supposedly have a top-ten quarterback in this league that that head coach mm-hmm. is going to pound the table for. Those two together should be able to overcome a less talented offensive line. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that you should rely on the strengths of your offense, which should be your head coach's play-calling and your quarterback, to make up for where the offensive mm-hmm. line might be lacking. Now, again... If you just get bad players in there, there's some. There's not much you can do as a quarterback if if you don't have any time whatsoever. But if right. you draft a guy in the first round and you go with Denzel Good at right guard, that should be good enough. That should be a good enough offensive line that Gruden and Carr can work around. So I I like the idea of going cheaper at the offensive line and having Carr and Gruden make up for it because Carr and Gruden are supposed to be the strength of this team. Well, just give me a second because I'm going to Google the depth chart for Clemson on the offensive line, <laughs> and I'm doing that right now. And we're gonna see, we're gonna see who that guard is gonna do, be uh, that Gabe Jackson's moving on for. While I'll he's googling, do we want to go to the sound? <laughs> yeah. No, we'll, we'll save the sound for tomorrow because Ed Ed got a good compliment yesterday. He got an excellent compliment. But we're gonna uh, yeah. we gotta we gotta save that for an entire <laughs> ten minutes. Did you did you find our starting right guard or right tackle out of Clemson? Boy, let's see. Right guard last year. Was this guy a senior? He might have been. Is he? <laughs> Is this guy a senior? Well, he's a junior. He probably came out early. I'm gonna make a dis- I'm gonna make a prediction not knowing anything about this guy or that he even came out early. The guard that the Raiders will pick is a kid named Will Putman. Will he's Putman. Six four, three hundred, out of Tampa, Florida. He was the right guard on Clemson. He Ooh. was a junior, but let's just say he's coming out early. Gruden loves uh, Tampa. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, you combine Clemson, Bubble Button, Tampson, and Will Putman's going to be the starting right guard for the Raiders. Next he, year. He's also he's also got a good last name for Gruden to like you know mangle. Putty, yes. he's got it. Come he's on, Putzer, Putzer, six four three hundred guard. There's no chance there isn't a Bubble Butt here. Zero. So they will reach for him in the second yes, round. Yes. He's projected as a fifth round right what, guard. What if they reach for him and he didn't come out early? Like, yeah. <laughs> Will All right, coming up I saw him at somebody's pro day. Yeah, he was running drills. 
Coming up next, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus joins the show. Dad, you know, and I gave him a big hug. I saw my, you know, my two little ones. And then all of a sudden, I saw my wife. And I gave her a big hug. And just as I did it, she says, what more do you have to prove? It's the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now from Pro Football Focus is Austin Gale. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Austin, how are you this morning? Hey, Austin. Doing great, man. Doing great, man. How about yourself? Oh, good. Don't you wish somebody would hold you and say, what else do you have to prove? Um, I don't know, actually. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I, I'm ready to prove no matter what. <laughs> All right. We were just talking about the Raiders and potentially moving on from uh, two of their offensive linemen this offseason. So I'm curious if they... If they were to draft a tackle in the first round, is there anyone out there that you would say they should target in the teens when they pick? I, I think Rashawn Slater of Northwestern, if he's available at that 17th pick, he would be my guy at 17, assuming that Panay Sewell of Oregon is already off the board. Rashawn Slater, I was just talking to NFL Network's Bucky Brooks on my podcast, 2 for Drafts. Technical marvel. Some of the best feet in the draft, and yes, he opted out of the 2020 season, but you're getting an absolute gem of a technician with all the foot speed to win as a pass blocker at the next level. The concerns with Slater are his, potentially his arm length and his like strength overall and his play strength, but I think that gets better with NFL coaching and, and NFL weight rooms in the NFL so much that he'd be worth that 17th pick. I think Darisaw of Virginia Tech is obviously an option. Then you start to kind of reach a bit would say a Tevin Jenkins of Oklahoma State or a Dylan Radin of North Dakota State. I think at 17, it's Slater or honestly going a different direction at the position. It, Mayock said yesterday, kind of, I mean, obviously, I don't know if the door's ajar or wide open when you're asking about Trent Brown. You know, the jury is still out. Um, that tends to make you believe that, you know, either they're looking to move him or they, you know, they're making the decision on to move on from his salary. Uh, you surprised at that? Like, what would he, we talked about this before. What would even, in your mind, Trent Brown get back on a trade at this point, given the shape he was in and the kind of sense last year that he didn't work very hard? What would you give up for Trent Brown? Or like Tyler said, would you just wait for them to release him and not give anything for him? I highly doubt that they would release him. I still think he's a productive starter in a league where a lot of teams are looking for a good right tackle. You know where he makes a ton of sense is that the Baltimore Ravens do move on from Orlando Brown Jr. right tackle because he wants to play left. Trent Brown would have a ton of success in Baltimore because, and it's the same reason Orlando Brown Jr., another big monster offensive tackle, has had had success in Baltimore, is that teams do not rush Lamar Jackson like teams rush other quarterbacks. They can't purely bend the edge. They can't purely rush upfield because if they do and give up the edge, Lamar Jackson's moving. They also can't use a ton of inside moves because if they do, you give up the edge and Lamar Jackson's on the move. They, NFL teams train their pass rushers differently when they're going against, going up against the Baltimore Ravens. And for no, for no surprise, Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown Jr. Have, two of, have been two of the more productive pass blockers in the NFL. A lot of that is Lamar Jackson. So if they do move on from Orlando Brown, bringing Trent Brown there, who's a similar size, similar play type, would make a lot of sense. I think he could market, say, a third, fourth-round pick if you're trading for his current contract. I don't think the Ra- Raiders ultimately release him. But I do think they move on. You know, I don't think they do keep him in the building. I think they need to get cheaper. They need to cut players or move on from players to save cap space. I think Trent Brown has probably played his last down in, or in Las Vegas. 
on the idea of, of getting cheaper on the offensive line, because they are reportedly releasing Gabe Jackson as well, how how feasible is it that, you know, Derek Carr and John Gruden can coach and play around a cheaper, less talented offensive line next season? I mean, it's not going to be easy. I mean, they obviously have a ton of faith in Richie Incognito and his rehab process for him to come back. And they obviously have a ton of faith in either John Simpson or Denzel Good to play that other guard spot. I know Denzel Good has even played some tackle, and I know they like Sam Young as well. It is very difficult to win in the NFL with a less-than-mobile quarterback. Derek Carr has athleticism. He can move, but he's not a Josh Allen. He's not a Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson type, or even a Patrick Mahomes. He can move, but he's not a mobile first type of quarterback. It's very difficult to win in the NFL with a pocket passer like Derek Carr if your offensive tackles are bad. I don't think they'd be bad at offensive tackle with Colt Miller and say pursuing a piece in free agency or grabbing a guy in a draft. However, it's, it's a lot easier when you do have, you know, obviously top tier talent at the position. I think they'd be smart given Trent Brown's price tag to move on from him and try and find a solution otherwhere, other places. And I think it brings up a larger conversation. Why in the hell did they make Trent Brown the highest paid offensive tackle in the NFL <laughs> and then choose to move on from him? I think so much, there needs to be more conversation around the inconsistency and in strategy for the Las Vegas Raiders front office. Find Tyrell Williams, move on from him. Find LaMarcus Joyner, play him out of position, likely cutting him. Corey Littleton had the worst season of his career in Las Vegas. Nick Kukowski ended up starting over him in some games. Malik Collins did not pan out. You know, there's Jonathan Abram pick, you know, Josh Jacobs pick. There's so much inconsistency in strategy with the Las Vegas Raiders front office to where they are throwing the kitchen sink at free agent resource to go 8-8, eight and eight, to go 9-7. and seven. They haven't made any markedly good decisions in either the draft or free agency of late, and obviously that's really concerning. Well, the reason Trent Brown doesn't get talked about as much is because, as you just listed there, he might not be one of their five worst moves over the last two years. Yeah, which is honestly absurd. I think it speaks to <laughs> inconsistency in draft strategy. You obviously have the Cleveland Furl class with where they had three or four picks in the top 40. Cleveland Furl, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, Trayvon Mullen. The best player of that group might be Trayvon Mullen. I, honestly, I think he might be the best player of that group. They went for high-character guys from Blue Blood programs. Following that, Damon Arnett, who's known for having to have some off-field and, and those things, it's just interesting to see how they're pursuing talent, consistently reaching compared to consensus boards. I honestly think they need to kind of hone in and identify a strategy of what they want to do because there's been a lot of mixed opinions and, in turn, a ton of mistakes. Listen, Austin, I'm, we're going to play something here for you, and I want to know how PFF uh, grades and rates this because we, we're talking about the offensive line, and you asked how they could have done this with Trent Brown. This is really what Mike Mayock looks for. He's checking all the boxes, Michael. Yeah, he, he really is. Look at that big bubble butt. That's a, it's a power generator, those that thighs, quads, and the bubble butt. Offensive linemen love that. Feet. Huh. See, does PF, do you have a grading system for bubble butts? We do not. Not yet. I always work on it this offseason to try and make something happen. But, I mean, you know, scouting terminology always impresses me. I mean, bubble butt, quicker than fast, oily hips, all that stuff that Mike Mayock has really coined. I think what he really is getting down to is getting power in your lower half and being able to move people off the line of scrimmage. But, you know, bubble butt grades at PFF, they could be through the dumps. All right. Wait, you Just checking. You gave us Rashawn Slater from Northwestern. Does he have a bubble butt? Because if he doesn't, we can take him off the board. Yeah, Rashawn Slater would not be a bubble butt. Type, oh, right? take a, him off the board. Smaller nice. on the lower half. Oh, we can't have we can't have that unless he plays for Clemson. Then we'll take him. 
Exactly. Or take him if you please. Or Alabama or Ohio State. Those are the only yes. three schools that really count. <laughs> Uh, Austin, you were tweeting earlier uh, in the week about uh, high-paid edge rushers, and I'm I'm curious: Do we get to a point? Are we already there? Like, should we be treating edge rushers the same way we treat quarterbacks? Where if you get one of the best ones, pay them, and you're good to go. If not, you're better off not paying them and going with rookies in the draft. I mean, I think the root of that tweet is not necessarily pay your best edge rushers because the value of edge rushers right now in the NFL is so high. I mean, to pay the best ones make quarterback levels of money. And even the you know, second tier ones are making that level of money. If you look at Frank Clark and, and Trey Flowers and these other guys that are making over $20 million a year, 12 of the 15 highest paid non-quarterbacks in the NFL in 2021 will rush the quarterback. That's absurd. That shows where the NFL really values on the defensive side of the ball. If anything, it means draft pass rushers early. Draft them in the first round. You get a cost-controlled rookie contract and an optional fifth-year option. That is massive. And you do that. I was just talking, again, to Buster Brooks. Draft pass rushers, offensive tackles, and quarterbacks in the first round because those are the freaking most expensive positions when you have to go out and find them. And they're also very difficult to find on day two and day three. It's very rare you see day two and day three quarterbacks, tackles, and pass rushers pan out in being very productive players at their position. I think that cheap contract, it's a big reason why the Colton Miller pick isn't even one of the worst ones the Raiders made because he hasn't been great. He hasn't been top 10 in his position, but he's been average to above average. And when you have an average to above average left tackle making roughly $1 million a year, it's massive. It's the whole reason they were able to pay LaMarcus Joyner or Tyrell Williams to Brown because they have <laughs> such a high-paid position on a rookie contract. Colton Miller was the gateway drug to bad free agent signings, yes. is what you're telling me. Honestly, though, that's really what happened. Because when you have you – know, most teams, if you don't have your left tackle, your starting left tackle on a rookie contract, you're paying that player more than $20 million a year, literally. Like, that is where most teams sit. Like, you have to pay those guys – big money contracts and i think it's um smart for the raiders to pursue that position it's probably one of the best picks they've made over the past five years and he hasn't even been that good but it's because they prioritize positional value and and his other pick you compare that to the josh jacobs pick jonathan abrams pick those two are low positional value running backs and strong safeties don't make a ton of money in the nfl and those guys have to be top five at their position top three at their position to really recruit that value is there, in your mind, uh, an edge rusher, uh, and I don't know how many do you think there are deep in the first round, at 17 that could potentially be better than Clee Farrell and Max Crosby? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> There's a lot of edge rushers that could be better than Clee Farrell and Max Crosby. This is a very good edge group. Quiddy Pay of Michigan, Gregory Rousseau of Miami, Jalen Phillips, who's a California guy of Miami. You also have Jason Owe, Penn State, Azizo Jolari. Georgia, you know, there is a ton, Rashad Weaver, Pittsburgh. There are a ton of really talented, really project type edge rushers that have all the traits and measurables you want at the position. It's very opposite to some of the pass rushers they've drafted in the past. Like Jalen Phillips and Jason Owe might be the two most pure, talented, pure traits driven, best traits driven edge prospects we've seen in a long time. Like those guys run in the four, 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 five. I've heard guys talk about Jalen Phillips like he's the Terminator. This guy is a difference maker, a different breed of athlete. I think at 17, if I had to pigeon myself into one position in the draft for the Raiders to take, and I don't think that's a good process, but in this mythical scenario, edge I think is where the most value is going to be. 
not linebacker, not offensive tackle. I think edge makes the most sense because I think that's where you're going to see value meet positional need for Las Vegas. Well, he is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Again, follow him at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Austin, we appreciate it this morning. Thanks, Austin. Awesome. Of course. Thank you. Take care. All right. So there you go. Draft an edge rusher, damn it. That's all all they have to do. Just draft an edge rusher. All right. Just don't draft a guy from Northwestern who doesn't have a butt. Don't draft that guy. (laughs) But didn't we just learn that if they draft an edge rusher, that'll let them, like, spend money badly? (laughs) Well... Yeah, they need they need money to spend, Jared. Them spending it well is a, is a set. Those are two separate issues. They need the money to spend it. They just you know might need different people to actually spend that money in the future. All right, coming up next, the Ravens are proposing what might be the greatest possible overtime in the NFL. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Jared is at home. Ed and I are in the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studio. Finley Toyota here for you at FinleyToyota.com. I'm at home? Wait, Did I say that backwards? No, yeah. I said that yeah. backwards. All right. Yeah, Jared's in the studio. Ed and I are at home. Oh, Can I go Jared, home? I, I just assumed you live in the studio, so you are home. Um so it's uh it's the time of year where NFL teams get to propose rule changes. And the Baltimore Ravens are proposing a rule change for overtime. And this would eliminate the fact that the coin toss would decide who gets the ball to start overtime. Their plan is something that is called spot and choose. And what would happen is one team would choose where the ball would be spotted on the field, and the other team would choose if they want to start on offense or defense, and then you would play and it would be sudden death. So you would assume, because it's sudden death, most teams would want to play offense to start. Uh, So you could decide if you were choosing where the ball would be spotted. You could put it at the one-yard line, make them have to go 99 yards if they take the ball, but they could decide, eh, we're going to start on defense, and you get the ball at the one-yard line and have to go 99 yards or punt it back to us. I am fascinated by this potential overtime setup. Yeah, I'm thinking, okay, usually you take the ball, right? You always take the ball in the NFL, although they defer all the time, which, you know, that's kind of been changed over the years. Usually you took the ball in the NFL, but, I mean, is it, at the time, is it 35-30 or 3 to nothing? I, I mean, does it go, do you make the decision on based on the game is gone at that point, or do you just always take the ball? Well, it'd have to be tied because we'd be in overtime. So it oh, can't what be am I saying? <laughs> okay, what if it's 7-7 or 30-30? to 30? Right, and that, that's what would play into this is, yeah. hey, you know, neither one of these teams can score, so we right. want to play foot, uh, you know, defense first and play field position, or... Yeah. You know, neither one of us can stop the other team's quarterback, so we want the ball no matter where the other team spots it. So I, here, okay, first off, I'm fascinated by it because of that exact discussion that you would have as a coaching staff as to how the game has gone, where you would spot the ball, and and, and how, you know, how far back would you spot it to try right. to tempt the other team to go on defense first, right? Like, you know, because normally, what, if you go touchback-wise, you start at the 20, Every team's taking the ball on offense. If you get them, if you give them the ball at the twenty, and they got to go eighty sure. yards. Oh, 20. But yeah. yeah. But how far back? Like if they say, "Hey, we're putting it at the ten. We're putting it at the five. We're putting it at the two. How far back do they go 
before the offense says, no, no, we're going to play defense first and hope to get a stop and you punt it back to us and now we have it at midfield. I'm fascinated by the decisions coaches would make on this. Inside the 10? I mean, inside the five, you'd have to play deep. I mean, that, yeah, that I think so. I, I, so here, nope. and, but here's, here's my one concern wow. with it. My one concern is people like me would start yelling at you. Well, you always put it at the 12 yard line or whatever that number would be. Cause people would figure out what's the optimal yard to put it at. Right. right. And people like me would take the fun out of it where we'd say, well, you always put it at the 12-yard line and you always play offense, right? Like that's what I would start telling everybody. And it would be no fun because the fun of this is coaches like trying to take risk and gamesmanship and trying to outsmart their opponent and dare them to not take the ball when in reality we'd come up with some math equation that would say, hey – you know, this is this is what you should do every single time. Tyler, in reality, coaches are such cowards. They would just always go 50, put it at the 50. <laughs> well, I mean, based on the amount of field goals we've seen kicked at inappropriate times, they're going to like they're going to take the most cowardly. I don't want to get fired decision. Yeah. Well, put it at the 50 is getting you fired because you're giving yeah. the team the ball at the 50. I'm trying to come up with what i want to do but i just had an overtime going to the overtime at seven to three so i don't know what the hell i'm talking about uh, no i mean i if if you're asking me inside the 10 you know jared has a good point in terms of they're always worried about their job so you know if you don't if you don't take the ball and you lose people's like why didn't you take the ball why wouldn't you want to try to score so but if the game's a defensive game and you're saying i got to start inside the 10 i'm probably playing defense if i've stopped yeah. them the whole game and, and and they get the ball inside the 10 and they haven't moved it all day I don't know if I'm playing offense at that point. Yeah, and it depends on your team as well. Like last year, I think regardless of what yard line, the Raiders. Oh, the are Raiders are playing offense. <laughs> like you give them the ball at the one yard line. Oh, all right, we'll yeah. take it. Yeah. We'll take the ball at the one, and we're fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll march throw down the, the field nine and kick a field goal. Field goal range. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's yeah. what they're going to do. But that's better than yeah. the other team going 99 yards <laughs> on one play yeah. and beating you. So I I would be fascinated by the strategy and the gamesmanship from coaches, and especially early on. Because the first few times this would happen, you would probably see some ridiculous decisions from coaches because they would have never they would have never handled it before. They would have never yes. known uh, what's the best way to do it. We have no sample size for what's the best way to do this. No tests in the past for how to handle this. So I would be fascinated to see it. And I'll say this, even if even if it would ultimately come down to, you know, the math says to do this every single time, I still think it would be better than the coin toss, winner takes the ball, sudden death. Because at least in this scenario, you either A, have a chance to take the ball or go on defense first, or B, have a chance to spot the ball and give yourself great field position. You have a little bit more control over the outcome than just a coin toss. Yeah. I, I love it. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't like how it is now and you both get a chance and it's the NFL, man. I mean, I, I love this more than anything. Now, do I think it's going to be uh, adopted? No, because I think that the owner's going to be like, no, no, we want the ball too. It's too confusing. <laughs>